you're listening to Get Mouthy, the podcast from the Head and Neck Cancer Foundation. I'm Michelle Vickers. Join me as I chat with some of the most interesting people I know who are all linked in one way or another in the fight against head and neck cancers, either personally or professionally. Hello there, everybody. I'm here today with uh, Suzanne Miller, who is a friend of the charity, a friend of HNCF. Uh, Suzanne was diagnosed with stage four cancer in her neck, but she's since, I'm very pleased to say, she's a survivor. She's in recovery, so she's beaten it. So first of all, thank you so much for coming, Suzanne. It'll be really helpful for people just to hear from a patient. Um, We find at the charity that one of the things that people contact us about is because particularly normally it's when they've just first been diagnosed and they want to know like oh god what's going to happen you know what's next for me and I always say you need to speak to other patients yes um, because your surgeons only have one view of it your medical team only have one view but speaking to a patient is another thing so if I can just take you right back to the beginning and ask you like how did it all start and how did you first know that something was wrong um in myself I felt great I'd lost a bit of weight uh, which I'd been trying to do and I was picking my son up from he plays piano and um he was doing a gig at a hotel he works at in Newcastle and I was just sat in the car because there was a storm and I didn't want to get out and I had a scarf on my neck and I just happened to touch my neck and I felt a lump and I kept touching to see if it was going away, if it was moving. or And I just thought, mm, it's a bit strange. And a few years previous, I had had half of my thyroid removed um, because I'd had a benign growth on there. So I just kept feeling it. Yeah, it wasn't going away. It wasn't my imagination. Um, my husband felt it when I came back. So I put an appointment on the next day to see my GP. He said, do you still have insurance? Yes. Well, I think you should. Ju- we should get this checked out. So he organised me to go to a private hospital a few miles away the next day. And I just I saw- ask you, how big was it, this lump? How big was it? It wasn't enormous. I would say probably about three, four centimetres, right, what okay. I could feel. Yeah. I feel it. So sorry, yeah, you went to No, nope, the- that's okay. So um, so the very next day I went to see this consultant who then said, oh, we had a feel and said, I think we best do some biopsies and some scans. He organised those. And then I went back two weeks later and um, he told me that it was cancer. Um, he didn't tell me full details of things but he said he couldn't treat me because it needed to be a team who treated me and he was going to refer me back to the NHS to um, Sunderland Royal Hospital um, so I then went there that was the Friday and sorry that was the Monday and the Friday I was at, at the hospital see my consultant so everything was happening very very quickly no time to to really sit down and think about things I mean it was just a bombshell when yeah. when he told me but I don't know I just knew and my heart was pounding when I was waiting to see him for the results and he didn't come and get me it was a nurse and she had a bad John had said oncology nurse uh-huh. and my heart sunk yeah. and um and I can just remember him saying I'm really sorry it, it is cancer and um and not much else of of that appointment. And then when I went to the hospital on the Friday, I didn't see my consultant immediately. I saw her registrar who 
put the camera down my nose and then subsequently told me that, yes, um, you have cancer in your tonsil, that, that, that looks like the primary and um, the tumour in your neck is the secondary, which was just another bombshell yeah. because all that, that we believe me, my husband, was that this lump in my yeah. neck was, was a cancerous tumour. And, and at that stage... Did you know at that stage, did they tell you at that stage it was at st you were at stage four? Did they tell you where you were on this sort of journey? No, 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 not at all. And when we walked into the room, there was all these people in the room. And when you're starting on your journey, it's you're processing so much. Yeah. And I just, you know, you sat and oh, I didn't have a clue who all these people were. There was yeah. about six, seven people in the room. Yeah. Um and then finding out one was my specialist nurse, one was a speech and language therapist. And at that point, you think, what on earth do I need a speech and language therapist for? One was a dietitian. What on earth do I need all these people for? Why are these involved? Yeah. You know, all I, I'd never heard of tonsil cancer um, or neck cancer. And all I, I'd known of was breast cancer and that you go yeah. and have chemotherapy and that was it. Yeah. Um, and there were so many people involved in the team and then my consultant, she was busy with somebody else. And then she came in. She looked down my, I looked down with the camera and um, and said, yeah, I confirm everything as well. And were you so petrified at that point? I was absolutely terrified. And what, what sent me over the edge as well was the consultant at the private hospital had said that he thought it was in that parotid gland. Yeah. And, um, and my consultant said to me, it's it's in your lymph gland so all I'd heard of was lymph cancer that was it it spreads yeah. through your body and yeah. really you haven't got much chance I'd you know known um about one or two people who died of lymph cancer and it, it spread and and so I, I I was already upset and that just sent me over the edge and my consultant said why why are you even more upset now Suzanne and I said and I explained why and she said yeah. well believe me it's better to be in your lymph gland than in your parotid gland because that's more complicated operation Very complicated, and yeah. and she said no you know that is not the case when I explained my fears of yeah. in the lymph so there's two things here I'm thinking about one is is so that means you must have gone undiagnosed for a period of time yes Yep. You had okay, and and also you said, which is obviously really interesting to us about that you hadn't really no idea about neck cancer, no. never really heard okay. about those things. So I'm kind of, I, I, it's the thing here of we know how important it is early diagnosis can increase survival rates by up to ninety percent. Yeah, and one of the big aims of our charity is to get people to diagnose themselves. Yeah. early to sort of be sensitive to lumps and bumps just like you saying you you had to happen to have the scarf on and it made you touch your neck we've had guys on who um felt a lump when they were shaving you know as they were shaving yeah. they felt yes. a different structure he kept cutting himself while he was shaving and that was because this tumor was sort of growing so I guess really I mean it's a bit of a silly question but I, I suppose it's for you how important it is for you to spread the news about checking oh. yourself and yes because it is such an unknown it, cancer isn't it you know it is. yes yeah yeah and so we I, I know I always bang on about this but we have a video on our website which um shows you 
really what a healthy mouth looks like and shows you the different areas of your mouth. And it also shows you things that you should be looking out for, what you should be looking out for. And one is like you said, Susan, Suzanne, you didn't, there wasn't anything in your mouth. It was just that you touched your face yes. and you felt something different. So, you know, the importance of doing that. So you've been diagnosed, you're sitting there in that room, you're petrified, as you said, about this. What, I mean, can I just ask the impact on your family and everything when you had to go and tell them, your children? Um, well, uh, at the time, my eldest son was, well, on the day that I went for my first scan from the private hospital, he was receiving his GCSE results. Oh, gosh. So I couldn't go with him initially to, to, to school to pick them up. Um, and he's a very intelligent boy. So he, mm. he was aware of everything. I had to tell him. He, um, but my other son was um, eight at the time. So he was unaware of everything I didn't want because we didn't know anything at that point. So yeah. there was no point in scaring him. But, um, but my eldest, he... He, well, sorry, he was 18. He was just getting his A-level results. And then when I was completely diagnosed, he was starting a new sixth form where he knew nobody. Um, so the, the school, we let the school aware of the situation and they provided him with a counsellor. That's fantastic. Mm. That's so great. he had a lot of support from school. Um, and then we didn't... we. All my youngest son knew was when I went in for my operation was that I was having my tonsils out and that's all that we made him aware of. Uh, yeah. uh, because at that stage, we didn't know no. what treatment I was going to have or anything, what the pathway was going to be. But um, when when I was going to, when we knew what was going to happen, we did sit him down and say, this, was, this is what's going to happen because having to be so careful when you're having chemotherapy. I didn't know how I would react. And because the treatment is so barbaric, he was yeah. going to be a complete different yeah. person yeah. in me. And not, it's not where, you know, it's hidden. It's all physical. No, it's, 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 yeah, it's obvious that's going on. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to, obviously you've had um, a lot of treatment. And what, um, just briefly, what is it that you actually had done? Just go through what the... the part of your treatment was um I had first of all I had a complete full neck dissection yeah. uh, because on the PET scan it showed that it was at the back of my nose and on the back of my tongue as well yeah. but that wasn't luckily that was an anomaly um it wasn't there but when my consultant had gone into my neck it there was extra capsule extra capsular spread um yeah. from tumor um and uh after the operation she said that because i hadn't realized when you have your tonsils out they only take the top part and there's a root in your tonsil and it's gone right down into my root so yeah. it was then a decision were they going to go back in and operate robotically um or go ahead with my treatment because there was a risk of infection and delaying the treatment if they then went in and did another nine hour operation like they'd just done yeah. so um it was decided that I would just go ahead with my treatment and there was also a, a nodule on my chest um so they hoped that the chemotherapy I was going to have chemotherapy 30 30 sessions of radiotherapy with six weeks of 
with chemo, weekly chemo. Um, they asked me to be a, a part of a trial as well, which I did, which was laser treatment into the mouth for mucositis. Um, but unfortunately, I had the placebo. But in my head, I believe yeah. that I had the real thing. In the yeah. head, that's what got me through as yeah. well. Because the, well, up to five weeks, the radio, the radiologist kept saying, how many weeks? This is five, isn't it? And look yeah. at you now still, because I still went in, makeup, dressed, yeah. everything, yeah. and was so positive. And I think that's what it was. I had it in, well, I just thought, I've got to get on with it. Yeah. Nothing to do, just get on with it. Yeah. Um, and I had, before um, I started my treatment, I had um, five back teeth removed as well. Mm. which I thought couldn't get any worse after that. And the operation was just a breeze. The yeah. teeth were horrific. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they didn't want to come out. All the roots were curled underneath. They were healthy teeth. It was just they had big fillings in. Yeah. And, um, a couple of um, small wisdom teeth. And then yeah. they got infected. And, and it was oh, horrific. Oh, my goodness. I, I think that's the thing, isn't it, with this type of cancer and this treatment, is that it's in your head yes it's kind of like it's it's not it's not it's it's so concentrated it's first of all it's in your face it's how you look yeah. and everything but also it's all going on in your head and neck area yeah so you're sort of very conscious of it the whole yeah. time you know I mean it's like anyone if anyone's had a bad tooth you know you know it's like a if you if you hurt your foot you hurt your foot but if you've hurt your, if you've got a toothache it's right there in your face it's, and in your head and it's like all the time, you know, you're eating, you're talking and all of that impact. So did you have any, after you had your treatment, did you have any like lasting um, lasting effects, any sort of change in your losses in your function, like in terms of how you eat, obviously that's that's a big thing, how you eat and your voice or anything like that? Um, it has improved over the last three years, but I... Um, my saliva glands have been damaged. Yeah. So I have very little saliva. Um, also with having no back teeth, sometimes that can affect what, what I'm eating. I have to eat at the front. Yeah. Um, and I know that I can't, I can't eat things that I previously used to eat. Um, and my taste buds completely changed. Um, I eat very slowly now. I have to drink water when I eat. And then I can't eat a lot of meat, especially particularly red meat. I struggle with red meat. Um, and I, I, I know what my limits and my capabilities yeah. are. Yeah. So I eat within those. So can I just ask you as a last thing? Uh, I could actually talk to you for ages and ages about all of this. <laughs> I can, can tell. But can I just ask you, what advice would you give to anybody who is going through this experience maybe at the beginning of it you know um what advice would you give anyone what I would really say is stay positive it is a very scary and tumultuous journey and you go up on a roller coaster and but there is light at the end of the tunnel the treatment that they give you does exactly what it says on the tin it it, it is brutal but it works and I'm so grateful to be still here today. And despite everything that, that goes on with me, I, I'll never be the same person, but 
I'm here and I value life so much. And it is scary and ask questions, always have somebody there with you because you're taking in so much. Yeah. It's important to have somebody with you on that journey um, because when you only take in a certain amount of things that you're told and the person with you does as well. So what I would remember, sometimes my husband didn't remember and he would yeah. remember things that that, mm -hmm. that we were told that I didn't. Um, and just take advice. And if you're worried about anything, then, you know, just ask. Yeah, I agree with you. We have um, a Facebook support group um, and that it's a brilliant place for patients to speak to other patients and actually it's for friends and family of patients as well so I, I would recommend anyone who is feeling that at that stage that they want to need to talk to somebody about it or even just ask things please go onto our Facebook group and um, just check in with other patients and friends of, of and family of patients and can I ask you about just about Suzanne what you would say to people about checking their mouths and checking their neck on a regular basis very very important very important i wasn't aware of this type of cancer of tonsil cancer of hpv cancer um and i don't know in my head but i had had a hysterectomy um a few years ago and i keep thinking that if i if i hadn't felt that lump in my neck and had not had a hysterectomy it would have been cervical cancer could it have you know in somewhere else yeah yeah but just to be aware be aware just when you're brushing your teeth have a look at your tongue have a look in your mouth and if you have anything that you're worried about it doesn't matter if if it's nothing but speak to your pharmacist or your gp or get somebody else to have a look at it if you're worried about it yeah. you know don't just sit and think that'll go away these things if it is it won't go away and the the earlier you get to see somebody the earlier things will start to happen and and you'll be cured well that is a perfect perfect way to end this interview with you Suzanne if there was ever um someone to to get you inspired to check yourself regularly be positive throughout your treatment come out the other side Suzanne you are definitely that person thank you, thank you very much for sparing time to talk to us today thank Thanks you very much you're welcome so I'm here with Mark Radcliffe who if you don't know where have you been but if you don't know is a DJ and presenter on BBC Radio 2 and what you might not know about Mark is that Mark was diagnosed with a tumour at the back of his tongue in 2018 it's good to be here and get the message across Good, good. So I'm going to, I'm just going to go right into it. So just one of the first things is, how did you first know that there was something wrong? What was the things that made you think, oh, something's not quite right here? I was on holiday in Cornwall, where we go every year. And I'd had a beard, like everyone had a beard. Um, and um, I thought, oh, I'm really hot and everyone's got a beard, I'll have a shave. So I bought some shaving foam and a disposable razor, which I hadn't used for a long time. And I shaved in front of the mirror and I was, my wife was sitting in bed looking out at the sea. And when I shaved up one side of the neck, it sort of went over a bump. 
And I said, oh, right, okay. So I said to my wife, what do you think that is? She said, oh, I don't know. It looks like a swollen gland or something, um, which it was. But what we didn't know at that time was that it was um, a, a lymph gland swollen with secondary yeah. cancer from, as you say, the tumour on the back of my tongue. One thing led to another. I said, I'll get it checked out. Went to the GP. He said, we're not really worried, but we'll just send you to the local hospital just for a test. Yeah. They did a test on it, said um, it's abnormal. I said, oh. What does that mean? Anyway, so then uh, they sent it off and I went to Macclesfield Hospital. And I remember the guy who became my surgeon saying to me, oh, have you got someone with you? And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't sound good. Do I need someone with me? And they said, we're pretty sure it's cancerous, but we'll have to wait till the biopsy comes back. But we're pretty sure that it's localised and we'll be able to get it out. Um, and um, and so that was that was how it began. So I was very lucky because there was a... A, a, a visual clue on yeah. the outside of my body yeah like which a lot of cancers clearly yeah. don't get that no and I, actually you know it's funny because another guy I was talking to um Darren who had a aminoblastoma he had discovered his through shaving he mm. was shaving and he said he kept cutting himself what the tumors that he nice. had nice. were on his jawline and they were sort of irregular and so every time he was shaving he just thought he was really bad at shaving i know and then discovered that's what it was and i you know it's it's strange really because i didn't really know throat and neck cancer was a thing yeah you know, I'd, I'd, I'd lost a couple of mates to pancreatic or prostate yeah. or brain tumors and things you know but <laughs> i didn't really know it was a thing and what was very odd for me <laughs> eventually when they did the operation they took a tumour, the ten, like the size of an apple out of my throat and one wow. the size of a large walnut off the back of my tongue. And what's really remarkable is that it was throat and neck. I was, I'm a DJ, as you say. I was on the radio yeah. for three hours a day and I'm yeah. a singer. I play music and folk songs and things. And I was doing all that without the slightest problem. All, yeah. The only slight sign in retrospect was that I was having trouble just clearing my throat. I wasn't yeah. coughing. It wasn't really kind of coughing fits. I was just so... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that where my throat yeah. wouldn't quite clear that's the only thing yeah. that I can think of so it's a, it's amazing really how the body can cheat you and deceive you to sort exactly. of it, it, it wasn't telling me there was anything wrong even no. though I was using the throat all the time and it's a funny thing isn't it because I always think this um with these types of cancers is that it's a bit like um you know it's in your face so you kind of would think you'd either see it or you'd feel it, like you say, through talking mm. or eating. And a lot of our patients don't have that. Um, some of them have had things like a feeling a strain in their tongue, like just a, um, where they've got a cancer in their tongue, you know, like a strain, a, a pull on their tongue. But like you say, retrospectively, sort of noticed that there was something a little bit different yeah. going on. I mean, the thing is, of course, that it's not like a stroke. It's not like a heart attack. It doesn't happen. No. It gradually so you're sort of adjusting to it all the time. Yes. And even people who live with you, um, especially if you've got a beard, you know, it, it, yeah. when we look back at some old photos, we can see the lump. It's really spooky. Wow. Like, there you are. And we didn't know because it grows gradually. And as yeah. you, we change as we get older, things move. You know, we get, we get sort right. of growths and outcrops that we might not yeah. particularly like as we get older. So you, you, you're constantly adjusting and people are constantly adjusting to the way you sound or look. And yeah. so it, 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 it's not easy always to, to spot it. So when you were diagnosed, how far along were you? Well, um, further than they first thought, um, and they thought it was very early stage one. When they actually got in, they decided it was more like sort of stage three. And wow. they thought that, um, I was later told that without any intervention, 
I would have had months, not years. Wow. And this was at the age of 60. Um, So um, it was um, at the time and going into it, they were very, there there was no question. None none of us ever considered the fact that I would die. Yeah. Neither from the medical side or from our side. You know, Mm. it didn't seem a realistic, even something we'd have to think about. The only time I thought about sort of mortality was really when all the treatment was over. Yeah. And um, I think everybody agrees with this, that this is the hardest bit when you've come uh-huh, through it yeah. all, because I went to the Christie in Manchester every day for six weeks and the whole course of treatment was three months. And you're surrounded by wonderful people telling you, you're doing great, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And then when you come home and you, that was sort of just after New Year and you got to wait, I had to wait until the March of 2019 yeah. to get all the final results. That's a long wait then. Yeah. And that's when you really kind of... Um, go down a bit I think that's the hardest time really yeah hardest time yeah it's funny because recently I was talking to someone about it and um they were talking about it was uh, it was um a a nutritionist and dietitian that we had on a previous podcast and she mentioned this word survivorship which was something I hadn't heard before I hadn't heard it reflected like that before but it seems to be a common thing that I, I guess your team, your surgical team and your medical team are looking for you to sort of get rid of the cancer for the cancer to go. And that's their goal. And then it's done. But for a lot of people, their journey is almost just beginning then of trying to go back to or not go back to normal because the normal's never the yeah. same. The normal's different. And a lot of people. And in some ways better, we should say. The normal is in some ways better once you've been through it. But I mean, I went went to uh, Christie's, you know, there's one of those Maggie's centres, you know. Yeah. Um, which has wonderful places which are kind of set up with uh, contributions, you know, and, and donations. Yeah. Full, lovely light spaces full of friendly people, full of lovely art and gardens and places to make you feel, you know, just better spiritually. Yeah. And the only time that I don't, I don't cry, really, I'm not I'm not proud of that. It's not a man thing. I just I'm just not a, cry, a weeper. But yeah. the only time I cried was when I walked into that Maggie's Centre and uh, one time and she said oh can I help you and I burst into tears and yeah. she said have you just finished your treatment and it's uh, <laughs> it's funny how it's at that point where you feel oh crikey I'm on my own now which I'm not yeah. I've got a loving wife and a supportive no. family and, and friends and everything but but um it is at that point where another part of the journey begins and I think yeah. it's important to tell people that because that's in some way the thing the bit that you're least prepared for because you're prepared yeah. for the invasiveness of the treatment um, I'm sure the treatment I had where they say we we cut you, we poison you and we burn you because I had yeah. surgery and chemo and radio. I'm sure that will be looked at as sort of pretty barbaric quite soon now as we sort of go on to yeah. proton yes, and immuno yeah. and all those things. I think it will look quite barbaric quite soon that. But um, you're prepared for that and you steal yourself for a lot of that. And parts of it were horrible and parts of it weren't as bad as I thought. Um, uh, I reacted particularly badly to chemo, radio not so bad, you know, but um, the bit where all that's finished and you just feel weak and you feel useless and you can't do anything and you're in bed and it's, you know, I think that's a tough time. Yeah. Um, my, one of my friends, Hazel, she's um, recovered from her breast cancer, but we became friends actually just while she was having her chemo and um, she, she had breast cancer. And I remember when it all finished she came and she said, you know, I'm feeling really low and I'm mm. feeling really. And she said, I think I've got depression. It was the first time I'd seen her cry throughout all mm. their treatment. There you go. And everything. There you and go. She, she cried. And I was like, 
I was like, no kidding, you know, no kidding that you're depressed. Yeah. You know, you've, what your journey that you've been on. But she, it was a surprise because she'd been so upbeat during all of it. And then to sort of come out the end of it, she she really, and she was very lucky. She um, got counselling and everything and, and massively mm. helped her sort of through all of that. I know. That's, that, that's exactly, mirrors my experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing, isn't it? So how about your, how did it affect your family? Like, how were your family around? What was your wife like about it, you know? Um, my wife, um, my wife's very, very strong, very sort of capable, and sort of matter of fact in a way, and kind of a good coper, really yeah. good and really, uh, I think in some ways it's harder for the person closest to you than you because all you've got to worry about is yourself and the treatment and that's hard yeah. but she's yeah. sort of got to look after children and keep some money coming in can be yeah. there for me keep the house running you know it's quite tough really yeah. um and um it was actually only i think later on where sadly we had a we had a little dog that got run over and um and and that tipped her over the edge i think that the, all the sort of stress and everything that she'd had to suppress sort of came out at that point so my wife was you know coped really well um but probably affected her more than she even knew at the time mm. my oldest daughter from my first marriage who doesn't live with us that but we see a lot we've got a good relationship with i mean i think she was very concerned um and then my other two girls who were one was doing her A-levels and one was doing one was at university in liverpool and i remember we sat down with them and told them and uh, they said, uh, my, my middle daughter, Mimi, had two questions, really, which I think got right to the heart of it. Um, and um, because, you know, I think teenagers and young people are, are kind of selfish and wrapped up in their own lives. And they should be because that's their time. Yeah. And you're free of responsibility. She only had two questions. She said, um, well, are you going to die? I said, I don't think so. We, we really, really don't think so. She said, OK. And she said, and is it going to affect me on a daily basis? I thought, well, great question, because she wanted to know how it was going to, you know, she wanted to carry on with her life of being a student with her friends. Yeah. I said, no, yeah. not in the slightest. She said, OK, great. Can we order pizza then? I said, yeah, great, let's order pizza then. And, and, and I've always remembered that. And I thought that that's a great approach because, you know, it is dramatic. It's a yeah. massively dramatic thing. Yeah. And obviously there are risks, but there are risks with everything in life. And, and the best thing you can do is to kind of, I know this is a cliche, but keep a positive attitude and carry on as normal yeah. as you can. Because really, yeah. what is the alternative to go to exactly. for three months? Why? How would that be better? Yeah. Even if yeah. that does finish up tragedy out of tragedies of being the last time you have. Yeah. Why would you want to waste it? Exactly. Like that? I know that's easier said than done for some people. But honestly, yeah. I'm not a strong person. I'm a worrier. Um, and um, I was really surprised by resilience that I found within myself. Mm. to kind of treat it with humour and and carry on and, you know, not make everything a drama and a crisis, you know? And I think that, that, that I think in a sense, my children's attitude to it sort of helped me with that. Yeah. So would that be the sort of advice you give anyone going through this yeah. about the positive attitude? Mm. I mean, you know, I mean, it's different. I mean, you know, some people have a much worse diagnosis than me. Some people know that they are not going to get through it. A lot of people think they're not going to get through it, and they do. A very good friend of mine um, was, uh, they couldn't operate on his cancer because it meant going clo too close to his aorta, and they gave him six months to live five years ago. You know, wow. they, they, you never know. Yeah. And so no. you've got to be positive and make the most of what you've got, because it actually, even if it looks bleak, it might be longer than you think. Yeah. You, know, you might finish up wasting the last five years of your life by waiting to die. Yeah. So, um, so really, you'd have to. 
you have to find a way to be positive. Another way, and I know it's hard for everybody else coping with it. And you, you know, I think I think you shouldn't be too selfish. Really, it is about all about you, but it's not. You know, you've got mm. to live in a family and with friends, even if you don't have. I mean, I, I really, really feel for people who go through it on their own. Yeah. I think that must be tough. I think yeah. that must be really tough because we all have our down moments and moments where you need someone to confide in. So I'm really struggling. Yeah. But um, and you know, but really. Yeah, the positivity. It's yeah. a massive thing. I'm not a deeply spiritual person in terms of like, I don't think that being positive is a medical benefit. I know some people do. Yeah. And, and if you feel that and if you think that and it helps you, then fair enough. I don't think that. You know, I'm not an alternative therapist kind of guy, really. Um, I think that um, I do take turmeric, which I was told was good, but <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trust it to sort everything out. You know, I would trust a bloke with a knife and a big laser to sort it out. Um, and um, but, you know, uh, the, just positivity for you and your family to get through it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you can really, yeah. really, really try, really try, because when you sit back and think, what is the alternative? I'm going to make this time if this is the end. I'm going to make it really miserable for everybody. And that's the last memories they're going to have of me. Yeah. Why would you want that? You know, you want them. I remember um, there was a, the Christmas where I was really ill. And as I said, I didn't think I was going to die. And, you, you know, but I looked terrible. I was really gaunt and everything. And I remember ordering a, um, um, I ordered a full size snowman outfit to wear at Christmas with a big head on it. It actually was faintly frightening. It looked like someone out of slip, not a bit. And, and, and my wife Bella says, so why have you ordered a full-size snowman outfit? And I said, because, you know, I want it to be the Christmas dad was a snowman, not the Christmas dad was a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I've worn it quite a lot. I went to work just for one day that way to say hello on the show, and I went in my snowman suit. And so I've actually worn my snowman suit quite a lot. Um, so I, do, I, do, I do get it out every Christmas now, my, cancer, my cancerous snowman outfit. <laughs> That sounds like a sort of good advert, doesn't it? Yeah, they're going to be selling loads this year, this Christmas. That'll be the thing. I'm not sure it's a great there. advertising campaign. No, but, not cancer. Why not buy a <laughs> snowman outfit? I don't think so. But um, but yeah, you know, do do things like that just to kind of think. Oh, you know, really at this point, like, what's a good enough reason for not ordering? Yeah, a, no, a I take the snowman you. outfit. <laughs> Twenty five quid, I think. What's a so, good reason for not doing that? <laughs> that is. It, your your positivity around it is actually really infectious and the sort of making the best of it and I, you know you were saying about friends and family and one of the things we've got a support a facebook group support group which we don't kind of do anything to it's just patients and friends and family of patients talking to each other and some of the messages on there you know like they're keeping each other going some of the people are saying you know you're the person who just kept my dad going and going just like chatting about funny stories like that you know or problems with eating and swallowing and that sort of thing they share all of that and it's just yeah. amazing how positive it is and like I say we you know we, we we monitor it so there's no crazy stuff on there but apart from that it's just people just talking to each other and mm. sharing positive experience of it will get better you will get mm. through that bit and then this bit's going to happen you know and I think people really uh, get something out of that you know out of sharing that and sort of finding a common ground between I mean every cancer is different I know and every journey is different I think there is this that solidarity of knowing that someone else has been been through it as well and come out the other side of it is quite a positive well, um, it is, message it, it is you know 
I sometimes say it's, the, it's sort of almost the worst thing that ever happened to me, but in some ways the best as well. Mm. And I've just had another little brush with it where I've had a little tumour removed from my um, pancreas, yeah, which, um, which, which showed up on the root, the scans that being checked. Yeah. You know, so I'm lucky, you know, I'm on the radar. I mean, I'm very conscious of the fact that especially during the last two years, there have been people who, even the ones who, who got it together to do something about it might not have been seen in time. And I'm very conscious of that. Um, uh, which I discussed with my oncologist, but I think that, you know, um, this morning I was out with uh, walking the dog. I live in Cheshire near Tatton Park. I walked around the lake. It was sunny, met a mate with his dog. And we sat and had a cup of coffee overlooking the lake in the sunshine. I'm thinking, this is so great. You know, I might not have seen any of this. This is so great. You know, life yeah. is so good. And, um, you know, I know it's tough and I know prices are going up and heating and I understand the problems people have. Um, but, you know, if you've had cancer, it doesn't have kind of it, I, people say, has it changed you? And of course it has, but it changes all of us. I have nothing profound to say. Everybody says the same thing. It just makes you realize what's important and gives you a sense of priorities. Um, yeah. And um, because, the, you know, everything's better than being dead, really. Um, and, um, I, you know, I never lose sight of that now that, you know, things like, you know, just things that are great I'm like you know we bumped into the guy who ran the coffee shop and he said oh this is great this is exactly what I wanted people sitting overlooking the lake on a little deck here you know and um I play music and he said you know he said wouldn't it be great if we did a little gig here I said well let's do it let's just do a little gig on the coffee shop he said well I wouldn't be able to afford it I said well we'll do it for coffee and cakes let's just do it because that will be a, warm, a, a nice memory and a, a nice afternoon yeah. and I'm still here for that and yeah. those little moments you just think, great, well, you know, like the snowman outfit, what's a good enough reason for not doing that for one day out of the rest of your life yeah. on a little coffee deck overlooking a lake, playing some music? Why wouldn't you do that? It's great, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, it, the, the great thing is at my age, I'll be 64 next month, is that that moment, I'm, you know, playing in music, I enjoy music, I enjoy the moment of things because I'm not like a kid. I'm not trying to make it. I'm not waiting for my big break. I'm not playing on a coffee deck by a lake because I'm hoping I'll be talent spotted and booked yeah. at the O2. I'm playing on a coffee deck by a, a coffee deck by a lake because that sounds like a nice thing to do. It's only about that moment. None of it, nothing is a means to an end. Everything is now an end in itself. Do you know, I absolutely could talk to you forever. You've <laughs> been a really, really fantastic guest and I'd love to have you back and sure. talk about about other things and and chat about other sort of areas of this yeah because uh, i just means, think you've time. got such a such a positive message and slightly maybe have encouraged me to buy a snowman suit for christmas but what, I'll, I'll michelle what's a good enough reason for not doing that i know there's no i mean don't honestly you don't need to encourage me mark because i'm not telling you, know. you to buy a, a lamborghini you know, I mean, there's a good reason for not buying that. It's too expensive. <laughs> but a snowman suit, is, uh, it's, it's a bargain. Get a, snow, get a snowman suit. Although if you have young children or young grandchildren, uh, be prepared. I've got a young grandson. Yeah, well, be prepared for uh, terrifying him. He might be, yeah. he, he might feel better. He might feel traumatised. But, you know, it's a chance worth taking. Like you say, no reason not to. So thanks very much, Mark. Um, and I hope to speak to you again soon. OK, lovely to talk to you. And you. So my next guest is the very lovely Claire Schilling, who is a really good friend of the charity. She uh, is co-author of our Sentinel Node Biopsy training program that we run. She's also a researcher in the early in early diagnosis, specialising in early diagnosis of head and neck cancers, and she's a head and neck 
cancer surgeon, but she's an all-round lovely, lovely lady. So it's my absolute pleasure to talk to you now, Claire. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Michelle. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Wow. Well, we're going to go right into it. So um, we've heard how we've heard just heard about how different every patient's journey can be in terms of spotting the signs and then getting taking action and then getting a diagnosis. So I, it might be a bit of an obvious question, but um, I, I, how why is getting an early diagnosis so important? Yeah, it is really important, Michelle. So patients that have head and neck cancers, there's there's a few things. So we know that the chances of getting rid of that cancer for good are much better the earlier the cancer is caught. So the treatment is going to be more successful the smaller the cancer is and the earlier it's caught in its journey. But the other thing is that, of course, all the treatments have side effects and Certainly, most of the cancers in the mouth are going to be treated by surgery, and we can really minimize the long-term impact of those operations and treatments if we catch the, the cancer early, because we're going to be removing less tissue, we're going to be interfering less with speech and swallow and appearance and all those sorts of things. So from both curative reasons and long-term quality of life reasons, the earlier we catch it, the better. Okay, and so in catching it early, what are some of the signs that our listeners should be looking out for? What might be the first things that they notice? Sure. So I'll, I'll focus really on the, the mouth cancers. So that's anything that we say is in the oral cavity, but that's yeah. the, the tongue, the roof of the mouth, the gums inside the lips. Um, and what we say is anything that you have in your mouth, which you might think is an ulcer or something like that. That's typically how things start off. An ulcer, which is persistent for more than two weeks. That really should trigger you to go and visit your, your dentist or your doctor. Now, it's not always that easy to tell the difference between lots of different conditions which can cause ulcers in the mouth at the beginning stages. But most things that cause ulcers and, you know, many, many people get recurrent ulcers in the mouth mm. and they will typically heal up or be appearing to heal after a couple of weeks. So something that isn't getting better after a couple of weeks um, or is getting worse after a couple of weeks, definitely that needs to be seen by a doctor or a dentist. Mm. Uh, and I would say even more so if you have potential risk factors and we know that smoking can increase your risk of developing these mouth cancers and also alcohol use can can increase your risk. So if you have some of those risk factors and you have a, an ulcer in your mouth, which has been there for more than two weeks, then you need to get to see a medical professional. Now, the, that's mouth cancers. But of course, head and neck cancers also incorporate things in the throat, in your sinuses, in your salivary glands and, and the neck as well. And they all have slightly different ways of showing us that they're there. So things like a persistent hoarse voice or sore throat or a feeling of difficulty in swallowing, those are really, really common symptoms so that's one of the problems in diagnosing these cancers that lots of people in the population will have those at any one time but again if you've got those risk factors and these symptoms are persistent 
Mm. then that that should trigger a referral and it's not always easy to see these areas because the sinuses are kind of hidden away inside the inside the bones of the skull and of course the throat we can't see ourselves around the top of the voice box and things like that so that's why we need a professional to really have a look Mm. and the other thing I would say also is any lumps or bumps swelling in the neck or around the ear. So those those areas can be swollen lymph nodes or swellings within the salivary glands. And again, because these are quite common symptoms, you know, if you get a head cold or sinusitis or something like that, you can get these swellings in, in the face and the neck. But if these symptoms are persistent, and particularly if you have those risk factors, then again, those are things that, that really should trigger your alarm bells. Yeah. And I guess really one of the things, one of the things I always say is about knowing what normal is so that you know when something weird is going on. So, for instance, um, the uh, video that we have on our website, which actually Claire, Claire <laughs> is the mouth on that video. But um, I was hoping you... to remain anonymous. Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but where you see what a healthy mouth looks like so that you know when something's a bit uh, that's abnormal or a bit different and and again like you say with things like how your neck feels how your throat feels mm-hmm. but sort of I suppose it's kind of we all live such busy lifestyles now but it's kind of recognizing this is weird and I've had it for a long time mm-hmm. and I need to go um, I need to go and see someone or get referred one of the things questions I've got around that is so let's just say you've got an ulcer that like when I was younger before I had braces I used to get ulcers all the time I was always like biting inside of my mouth and getting ulcers and things um and I wouldn't have then now obviously I would but then I would never have thought to go to my doctor or whatever and say oh you know this is I've got this all the time so I guess it's that you having to stand for yourself and make this appointment and go to the doctor and say to the doctor no but it's coming back what my might doctors or dentists say go away it's just an ulcer um well that's a really interesting question so in the career of perhaps your average dentist or average doctor um they are likely to see a handful of mouth cancers in their entirety of their career and they'll see hundreds of people that have mouth ulcers so for them they need to pick out the, the cases that are really urgent and the ones that are cancer. And that's not always that easy to do at, at first, at the first presentation. Um, and they don't want to overburden the specialist centers to send everybody with mouth ulcers over. So certainly they're not gonna get it right every time. Um, sometimes they might give you a topical treatment like a paste or treat what they think might be a fungal infection or something like that and that's not uncommon that we see people that eventually get diagnosed with a cancer and they might have had an attempt to treat it with with medications at first by the by the doctor or the dentist because they're they are um working off what what's most common what's the most likely diagnosis and so on so i would say certainly if you've been to see your doctor or your dentist and you've had some treatment and it doesn't seem to be working, do go back yeah. because it's important not to just leave it be if it's not responding to those treatments. Yeah. So your cancer won't respond to a treatment for a fungal infection. Yeah. So how often should we be checking ourselves? Well, it's one of those things that 
really should build into your routine. You know, we know a lot from the public health campaigns about checking your breasts and checking yeah. testicles for men and things like that. Um, but mouths are a little bit more tricky to see, you know, <laughs> but yet we take, give attention to our mouth every day or twice yeah. a day when we're brushing our teeth. So um, it should be relatively easy to build that into your repertoire when you're brushing your teeth, you know, yeah. Do they look good? <laughs> have I got all the bits of food out? And just to have a look around all the soft tissues as well and don't just ignore those. Um, I think, you know, once a month check would be would be good, having a really good look around and getting to know, like you said already, Michelle, what your mouth looks like normally, because then you'll be able to pick up any changes. And the areas which are really important to pay attention to are those slightly hidden ones, like under the tongue and around the back, the back teeth and things like that. So those areas which... You know, if you're doing a quick check, how does my mouth look? You might not see it, but yeah, yeah. really have a good route around in your mouth. And, and sometimes also having a light there to have a look. You know, the, the torch on the phone is fantastic. And we often use oh, yeah. that, you know, when we're down on the wards, if we can't find a, a nice pen torch, the, the lights on the phone are really good for just lighting up the back of the mouth. So, And I guess actually there's a thing, isn't there? I was talking to, we did a podcast uh, a while ago and I was speaking to a dentist we were saying about how people are now more bothered about how their teeth look. So they mm. are kind of looking at their mouth more because they want their teeth to be nice and white or, you know, they they have other treatments done on their teeth. So I guess it's just a good thing of if you're looking at your teeth in that way, maybe, you know, maybe build it into when you people do teeth whitening, don't they, at home, you know, once a yeah. month or whatever, build yeah. it into doing that. Yeah. Claire, it's always, we could talk forever. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> you always just make it so user friendly and sort of not scary but just sensible so thank you so so much for talking to us um just to say again is we have i know i keep going on about this but we do have this really simple video which claire wanted to be anonymous about her now she's the lovely mouth on our mouth video which shows you what's normal that's the most important thing it shows you all the different areas in the mouth where you didn't which you didn't even know you know really existed i didn't know where my saliva came from in my mouth until i looked at it um, so it shows you all of those areas so that you know what's normal. And then it's got some, not too graphic, but just some images of things that may be starting to go wrong. So I would really urge you um, to go to our website, which is um, hncf.org.uk uh, and check out our videos there. Um, but thanks once again, Claire, and we hope to speak to you soon. Thanks, Michelle. It's lovely to talk to you. Bye. For information, support and advice, including how to check your own mouth, look up hncf.org.uk or follow us on socials, search HNCF.